Attributes of God, Part 2. This morning we're going to look at um, omnipresence and omniscience, or as some call it, omniscience. The first one, omnipresence, or sometimes called the immensity of God, they kind of, they kind of, the, the theologians kind of separate them a little bit, but there's very little difference really, but uh, immensity and omnipresence. I'm just going to read right through our notes here. God is perfectly present with, with, with himself, transcending all limitations of space, and yet present with every point of space with all that he is. So everything God is, is everywhere that there is an is, if that makes sense. I almost sound like an old president, whatever is, is, you know. But anyway, <laughs> I move on. <laughs> I better move on. Now, transcendence means that God is greater than and independent of the creation. Obviously, right? He created. It's like the potter and the clay, right? Which one is the greater? All right. And immensity refers to the fact that God transcends and fills all space. You know, it's interesting. God is in every square inch of this room, yet because God is a spirit, he doesn't take up any space in that sense. But he is in, but he, he is in every square inch of this place. There's an obvious application there. He's in every square inch of every place we go or will go. So... If we're acting up, he's there. <laughs> I mean, that's something to think about in terms of a personal application. Yeah, go ahead. Try to confess half of them. He'll know the other. He knows the other half anyway. Okay. Now, the biblical evidence for God's immensity and omnipotence being, are being described as both close and far. It's interesting how that works. Okay. Heaven and earth cannot contain him. Let's, go, let's start with First Kings. First Kings eight twenty seven. There's some very interesting. A lot of these are pretty. The applications are pretty obvious to a lot of these, but there's a lot of application that can be made from. You know, again, the more we understand the person of God, I mean, the uh, the greater He actually becomes in our understanding. Eight twenty seven says, "But will God indeed dwell on the earth?" Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. This is part of Solomon's prayer of dedication. And it just says, you know, again, Solomon knew building the temple, which was, quote, the dwelling place of God, he knew about the omnipresence, the immensity of God, that you can't confine God to any one spot. It just can't be done. And that again, when we look at the doctrine of God here, we're looking at we're also at the same time looking at the uh, the <clears throat> God the Father, and uh, when we get to the Holy Spirit and Christ, we're going to see how that moves right in and they they coincide. But uh, now let's look at Isaiah sixty six one, and there's a lot of there's I don't know how many passages that could have been on here in this outline, but I just. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is is a place that I may rest? Again, speaking in human terms, and he's saying there isn't, there isn't one. 
and then always try to find something in the New Testament. Look at Acts 7. It's quite frankly pretty tremendous passage there. It's where Stephen, the first uh, recorded martyr of the New Testament, just right off the top of his head, just speaks and gives a tremendous history of the nation. Of course, it did say, you know, earlier about Stephen, it says a man full of the Spirit. And just a little side step on that. When you're talking about someone that is actually filled with the Spirit in Scripture, you're going to see a very close relationship with being filled with the Spirit and speaking biblical truth, speaking scriptural truth. They're just, they're just, they're inseparable. But we'll get to that either with gifts or the Holy Spirit. One of the two. We're going to get there. That's that's a topic coming up. It's very extremely important. Acts 7, 48 and 49. <clears throat> However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my foot, footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place <clears throat> is there for my repose? Does that sound familiar? That's Isaiah 66 1. <laughs> yeah, that's Isaiah 66 1. We just read. Here's Stephen, right off the top. Right off the top. And then another, another passage, another section, next bullet point God fills heaven and earth. He is just flat, just everywhere. Now, a good one on that for a lot of it is Psalm 139, which speaks quite a bit to the actually omnipotence and omniscience that Psalm 139 like I've said before uh, you read through the Psalms you're going to read through a lot about the doctrine of God and then on top of that you've got a lot of messianic Psalms which talks about the second person of the Trinity which is a also a subject coming up Psalm 139 7 through 10 and again, good, good personal application here. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave, behold, you're there. I take the wings of the dawn, I, and, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there that I, their, their hand has led me, and, and your right hand will, will lay hold of me. So anywhere you want to go, in the sea, under the sea, up in heaven, in the grave. He's there. He's everywhere. One might ask, gee, is, is God in hell? Is God going to be in the lake of fire? Answer, yes. God will be God in the lake. Yes, his presence will be in the lake of fire. Why? Executing wrath. He will be there. He won't be suffering there. He will be there. He's everywhere. Everywhere means all places, everywhere. Even there, 23, 23, 23 to 20, 24. <clears throat> Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in, in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? See, there's that immensity aspect again. Do I want to just fill up all the space? It's, it's there. You can't go. It's like... like like in Psalm 139, it says, you know, can I go to the grave? You're going to be there. I, no matter where I go, you are there. You are there. 
And then God manifests himself as being in various places. Obviously, he'd go back to Deuteronomy, and some of this is a little bit repetitious, but I figure, hey, if Scripture goes to this length to make the point, I might as well support that. He dwells in heaven, Deuteronomy 26, 15. And you might say, duh, well. <laughs> but 26, 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the ground which you have given us and a land flowing with milk and honey as you did swear to our fathers. Again, there's one of those anthropomorphisms, look down from heaven, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's again, God is speaking to us in our terms at our level of understanding to make the point that he sees he knows uh, like he doesn't have to get up leave heaven and come down he's omnipresent but he's saying that to make the point i know exactly what's going on and i'm involved that that's the kind of that's the message sending us speaking to us at our level okay otherwise he'd keep having to say that and then explaining everything he says <laughs> Okay, Psalm one, uh, Psalm eleven. Excuse me, Psalm eleven, Psalm eleven four. The Lord <clears throat> is in His holy temple, and the Lord's throne is in heaven. And you move on to thirty three thirteen. Thirty three thirteen and fourteen says, "The Lord looks from heaven; He sees all the sons of men. From His dwelling place, He looks out on all the habitations of the earth." Again. He's, He's, you can see he's there. You, that, you could file that under omniscience too. And they they kind of go. They go. They're they're so directly connected. They they're they're very much connected. And also on top of that, he dwells in the midst of his people. We'll go to Exodus for that one. This is a good drill to see if you know the books where the books of the Bible are. I bet you the. I'm not going to say kids. The the youthful table that Kendon sits at. <laughs> I bet they're the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> Ask one who knows. <laughs> Exodus, <laughs> Exodus twenty twenty four. Yeah, I skipped. I, I dropped a line. Okay, Exodus three seven and eight. And the Lord said, "I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings." So I can come. So I, <clears throat> so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the, of the Canaanite, and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Okay, and they ran them all out, including the termites. Gone. <laughs> but the point is, again, up in heaven came down. Up to heaven, came down. Um, now, Exodus 19, 9 through 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I shall come to you in a thick cloud in order that, you, the, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then, then Moses told the, the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments 
And let, let them be ready for the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Remember he came in the, big, the clouds and, and all that stuff. And then 18, same chapter 19, verses 18 to 20. It says, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke, and, and, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the, sound of the, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with, with thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I mean, that whole story is amazing to me, that all of that went on. I mean, we just we back up to the, the ten plagues, crossing the river, or the, excuse me, the, the lake, the uh, sea, Red Sea. And then Joshua's going to do the Joshua does the river. <laughs> but yeah, crossing the Red Sea. Watching Pharaoh's army get engulfed, fed manna. I mean, all, all this, I mean, just all, all the things that went on that God just one thing after, and then this, this scene here, and yet, for the most part, that generation was a generation of unbelievers. I mean, that, but what it shows you is the power of unbelief. It really shows the power of unbelief where people say, and, and that's where. Sometimes I, I, I have to not laugh, but I say that as a figure of speech when people say, yeah, we, and those guys on TV, yeah, you work a miracle, man, and that just brings people to faith. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. If this doesn't bring people to faith, nothing we can do is going to bring people to faith. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a good example of familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? I, I mean, the... It's 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 like hey you know, and when we get in the doctrine of salvation, we're gonna be getting into a lot of that stuff. Where, you know, when the scripture says salvation is of the Lord, it is a miracle to change a corrupt human heart. That's probably that's that's probably the biggest miracle he works. <laughs> you know, I mean, anybody no can create right no, but I mean, it's just, but it, actually it's another. It's a spiritual creation, you know. I mean, what, is, what did, what did uh, David say? Created me a new heart? Yeah. And that's exactly what, ha- what ha- like exactly spiritually speaking, what has to take place. And uh, again, I mean, I, I, I look at this evidence here of uh, the things that were witnessed, and yet, meh. Or look, at, look at our Lord in his three-year ministry on earth. I mean... Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And the consensus with some was, ah, he does it by the power of the devil. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it gets, that, that I always I have to, there I have to chuckle a little bit in, in, in John 6. Yeah. The, the guys that just witnessed him feeding 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and fishes, yeah. right? Feeding 5,000 with more left over than they started with. And then they're saying, well, show us a sign and we will believe. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> show us a sign. Yeah, I, I, those, there's a couple of passages in there that when they say, when they, when they actually yell out, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's very specific. 
when they say the lamb, they know a lot about who's giving those judgments when they can specify the word lamb as to where they're coming from. That's pretty specific language right there. But that's the, the hardest, you know, and, and, and Scripture almost, I remember, you remember when we went through there that uh, in Revelation it kept saying, and yet they did not repent, and they did not repent, and they did not repent, and they did not repent. After all these judgments hit bang, they did not repent. Boom, they did not repent. But just one after another, after another, after another, and they did not repent. Yes. There'll even be a remnant there. There'll even be a remnant there. We're going to start with that 144,000, and we go on from there. There will be a remnant. That's one thing. God has always kept a remnant. That's always kept a remnant. The, the only time there's ever going to be a majority is in the new heaven and new earth. And then it'll be an absolute 100% majority. So there you go. <laughs> but um, that is still out there. Okay. He dwells with his people. We saw that in Exodus 20. We're in Exodus. So Exodus 40, 34. Again, I read, read these passages and I, I feel for those folks that see limited to no use of the Old Testament. Man, they are missing out. They are really missing out. Exodus 40, verse 34, 35. Then a cloud covered the tent, the the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. (laughs) What a sight. Again, again, and um, just an amazing thing, just the glory of the Lord, which is another statement. That's his presence just filled the place. Has filled the place. His presence is often uh, seen as glory. Uh, we, well, we saw that. You know, that will be the whole thing in the new heaven and new earth, new Jerusalem. It's all going to be one glorious view of God. You know, just everything is going to reflect His glory. Yeah, He's the light. His glory is the light. The old Shekinah glory is going to be our light in the eter- in the eternal state. Imagine that. The bulbs will never go out again. And here, the dull bulbs, yeah, some of them will go out. But <laughs> matter of fact, they're, they're going out as we speak. But anyway, but, uh, and then another important for us, the church, God indwells the members of the church. I love this. It says, God indwells the members of the church. John fourteen twenty three says, Jesus answered them and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And check this. And we will come to him and make our abode or home or dwelling place, wherever you want to turn, with him. And we already know from other passages that we are, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which there, again, that's an indwelling of God in each and every one of us. Um, but we're actually indwelt by the triune God. Think of that. And I don't mean to slight the Holy Spirit, but we're not just dwelt by the Holy Spirit, which would be plenty. But we're indwelt by the whole triune God. I mean, that's it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, and right after attributes, I want to get into the Trinity, so we get a better appreciation of that as we continue. But it's just, it's astounding, you know, that um, 
But it's good to go through the attributes because then when we go in and look at the Father, Son, and Spirit, we'll see that all three have those same attributes. And all of them, not just some of them. But they have all three persons have all of the attributes. Okay, where are we? Romans 8. I haven't met a Christian yet that didn't like Romans 8. I guess they're out there, but I've never met them. It's those those Christians that got baptized in lemon juice, probably. <laughs> Romans, Romans 8, 9 to 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed, or that, that's, that's what some people call the old Greek if. <laughs> the if there probably means, in the, it means like since. Sense. Yeah. Since indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him major truth there and if christ is in you uh, though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness but if the spirit of him who raised christ from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ Christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you so here we have (laughs) there it is so the holy spirit we've got the godhead the holy spirit uh 1 Corinthians 3, we know those. Those are the ones that, uh, you know, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit indwells. Those are pretty straightforward. I don't want to get too tied down. Look at Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 21. 21 and 22 says, again, speaking of the church, in whom the, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Okay. We, the church as a whole, and when we're talking about the church, we're, talking, we're not just talking about Applegate. We're talking about the church in the, in the universal aspect of the church. And, um, the true church. Yeah, the true church, not just you know, a group that says church. <laughs> but we're talking about all truly saved people in this era. Okay, <clears throat> and then we're in, we're in Ephesians, okay, Ephesians three sixteen and seventeen. It's a Paul, a prayer of Paul here that he would strength that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. So again, uh, you go through there, you see all three members of the, of the Trinity are indwelling us, indwelling us. So again, I think an obvious application, well, there's two, there's two ways to go with it. From the positive, no matter where we go, no matter what trouble we, we're in, what problems we have, the triune God is there with us 24-7, always on duty. The downside, the negative side of that coin is that every time we sin, the triune God is there with us, in us. So think about that next time you sin, you just brought God into your sin. Again, that, 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 the application goes both ways there, you know. So, okay, our next one. Omniscience. God's omniscience is his perfect knowledge and all things outside himself 
the objects of God's knowledge. Guess what? All things. Let's look at Second Chronicles 16.9. We find Samuel King's Chronicles. If you hit Ezra, you can back up. Thank you. <laughs> Kick it in reverse. Second Chronicles 16.9. 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those who, whose heart is com- completely his. You have... You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Whoops, there's a, there's, see, there's a downside of God knowing everything. Um, guess what? Israel, you blew it again, so guess what? You're going to war again. And every time they go to war because of God's judgment, it never turns out well. You notice that? Mm-hmm. Never turns out well. That's why they said, you know, they're... You're stubborn, stiff-necked people. <laughs> you know, they were too. Isaiah 40, verse 13. I, I, love, I love these kinds of statements, you know. Um, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who has, or, or, or as his counselor, has informed him? Yeah, poor old Job got this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, poor guy, I tell you. <laughs> Yeah, and it keeps going, but with whom did he consult and gave... In other words, he's got it all handled. He doesn't, he doesn't need our help. I'm, I'm sure he appreciates it, but he doesn't need our interjections. Lord, could you maybe, you know, try this? We should actually, you know, I think, I think really a, a, prayer of, a, a prayer of thanksgiving would be, thank you, Lord, for not taking our advice. <laughs> And not necessarily giving us everything we want, you know. Um, Romans eleven thirty four, for who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Again, that's taken right out of forty thirteen. All right, uh, let's go to. Uh, we can. Well, let's just move on. I mean, he knows all things, but I. But let's go to Matthew ten. Because I want to make this other point, because I've heard this before when I was a brand new believer, and I didn't know what to think of it, but I know what to think of it now, that when we talk about all things that he's aware of, that includes even the very smallest things. You mean all actually means all? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much all. Or the great majority of all. <laughs> right? No, all, I mean, Matthew 10, 29 and 30. Are, you, uh, <clears throat> are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, for some folks, that's easy, it's an easier count than others. But, <laughs> but just saying... <laughs> I know my numbers are getting less and less every year, <laughs> but uh, but I mean, just the, even the smallest things. I mean, I, I like to put it this way. I mean, just think of a, a, of course, coming from the high desert, but think of a big dust storm blowing through your favorite desert. You know, he, I guarantee, you, he knows exactly how many dust particles are in the air. And as it moves along, he could tell you how many dust particles are falling out and how many are being picked up as the wind keeps going. I mean, that's the kind of infinite knowledge he has. And that's the best way I know how to explain how 
amazing that knowledge is. There is nothing, I mean absolutely nothing, he doesn't know. That's another way of saying he knows all things, right? I mean, it's just, he, he, could, he could tell you exactly how many is up there, how many have fallen out, how many have picked up, and how many is going to be there tomorrow. I mean, it's just he knows everything. It just everything. I mean, even, there, there is nothing too small that he does not know. We, we might consider it minutiae, and it is, but I just use that as a, an illustration of how vast his knowledge is. And he holds it all. Holds all of those things together. And I think one day, and one day he's going to allow it to get away from itself. Yeah, and I think, that's, I think that's Peter's big meltdown. Yeah, <laughs> big fire. But anyway, and as far as knowing everything, and again, this is something that's been mentioned already, but he knows all of our needs. Matthew 6. We're in Matthew. Matthew 6, 7 and 8. Again, when it comes to prayer time, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And, and <clears throat> that's, that does not contradict those passages that say be persistent in prayer. What, what this is referring to is just meaning repetition, like, you know, well, former Catholic, like praying the rosary. No, no, that's 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 meaningless repetition. That that's not going to pa- get past the ceiling. Let's face it. Although he's omniscient, so he does know you're doing it, but it's not going to, in terms of being answered. It's not going anywhere. And nothing's going to become of it. Six, and then same chapter, verse thirty-one. Again, about an, a good application of omniscience. Do not be anxious then, saying, "What shall we eat?" Or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And then it goes on to say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But um, see, he knows this. He knows our needs. He knows our needs. And again, <clears throat> I notice he doesn't say, he doesn't talk about the wants. He just talks about the needs. Food, shelter, clothing, basic necessities of life. You know, it's like, yeah, I, you know, you need transportation. So, you know, Lord, you know, you start praying for a Ferrari, you know. No. no. I mean, a Chevy will get you there. You don't need a Ferrari. <laughs> okay. I mean, let's not go crazy here. But, uh, which, again, if he does, they say, thank you, Lord. I'd probably sell it and get a half a dozen Chevys. No. <laughs> okay, he also knows the heart of man. Because of time, I'm going to stay in the New Testament. Let's look at uh, Luke 16. Luke 16, the heart of man. That's Luke 16, 15. Once again, one of those uh, familiar clashes with the Pharisees. And he said to them, you are, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. You know, they, they boy, I tell you, I see that. Just imagine you have the, the Son of God, or, you know, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, telling you, 
you, you're detestable. The things you want, that's just detestable. Not good. Not good. John chapter 2. It's another one. This is one that sneaks by a lot. John 2, 23 to 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, now just prior to this, you had the cleansing, the first cleansing of the temple when Jesus basically started his ministry. Started on a good note, made everything, he let everybody know where, where we were all stood. <laughs> and so, yeah. So verse 23 of John 2 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which he was doing. Signs as in miracles. Okay. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And verse 25, And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man and you look at this you, you follow this through about his knowing the heart of man and this and chapter 2 rolls right into chapter 3 which is the conversation he had with Nicodemus and there was this man Nicodemus and he started talking well we know you're from God because of the miracles you do and he, Nicodemus you must be born again you need a change of heart you need a rebirth you, you must be born again or born from above or you, wanna, you can go either way both meaning the same. But you see, he knew what's in the heart of man. He knew what man's, man's big need is. And um, it's salvation. And then he knows the sins of man. We're getting a little close here. <clears throat> and if we could, I'll just read through our, our list here. In, including all the sins of men. That's obvious. I think we all know that. You can see that Psalm 69.5, Jeremiah 16.17, Jeremiah 32.19. He knows everything about us. Back again to Psalm 139, which is a psalm that deals, quite frankly, with the omnipresence and omniscience of God. Both, both. Or Psalm 139 is a, read Psalm 139, it talks about these a lot. And then he knows all of mankind before we were even conceived. I mean, not even born, but conceived. Remember Jeremiah? Before you were born, I knew you. Before you conceived, I knew you. Um, and then, of course, we just got off studying um, prophecy, so he does know a little bit about future things too, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, you, you can go, like, I put here Psalm 22, which has the most vivid description of the crucifixion that you're ever going to read, that, it is the most vivid description of the crucifixion in the entire scripture. And it was like 1,000, 1,500 years before the thing that was even invented. Okay? But uh, it wasn't described in the Gospels because the Gospels were written at a time when everybody that received the Gospels knew very well what the crucifixion was because it was written right in the middle of the Roman Empire who was doing the crucifixion. So the, the readers were well aware of what crucifixion was. There was no secret to anybody at the time of the writing. That's why they didn't need to go into description. They knew we would get the memos later. And then, of course, I mean, Isaiah 7.14, remember that one? That's the, the prophecy concerning the virgin birth. And Isaiah 9, you know, which goes into... The prophecy, again, unto us a child will be born. Isaiah 
53, again, um, that definitely speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We saw Daniel 7. Remember Daniel 7, the, the four beasts? And they laid them out, bang, you know, <laughs> Babylon, you know, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Perfect succession, perfect description. And um, so anyway, um, we did it. I'm probably going to take, do it in bigger, more, try to pick up the pace next week, do more uh, attributes in one day, just but just less verses. Didn't want, don't want to wear, yeah, flipping pages. I don't want this to be burdensome either. But anyway, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time we had. And, and Lord, we just really stand in awe of your magnificence as a being. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to us. And uh, while you're, there's no way we can totally comprehend your essence, what we do understand uh, causes us, I hope, to worship you more. And again, Lord, May that be our response to this, to worship you more as the great God of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen.